Welcome to Daring to Live by Every Word. My name is Melody Mason, and in this podcast, I will be talking about how we can apply God's Word in practical and relevant ways to our daily life. As I've heard it said, it's not about how many scriptures you know, but about how many you actually live that really matter. So grab your Bible and join me on today's journey as we open God's living Word. I wanted to say thank you to all my listeners. I want to thank you for listening and thank you for sharing these podcasts with others. And thank you for those that have reached out because, well, it really means a lot to me. In fact, I think I'm going to take a few minutes here at the beginning of this podcast to share a few notes that I have been receiving. What an encouragement they've been. I've discovered that I actually have listeners from a number of countries tuning in, and that's super exciting. Uh, One listener named Therese wrote me all the way from Hungary, and I'm going to just summarize what she wrote since her message was a little bit more lengthy. She said, Dear Melody, I am so thankful for your podcast, Building a Happily Ever After. I have been struggling for a long time. Finding love was always my first focus every day. Of course, I prayed, I read my Bible, I went to church and did youth ministry, but I was missing a real relationship with Jesus. But now I have realized I can love Jesus and He can be my everything. I have found freedom and He is giving me joy. I've seen Jesus in your words and I want to thank you so much for your podcast. Therese went on to ask for prayer, that she stay closely connected to Jesus, and that she follow his will and not her own. She's also praying for prayers for a job. And I just want to bow uh, and have a quick prayer for Therese right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the, for the joy in the message that Therese just shared uh, with me and for how you are becoming her everything. But Lord, you know, uh, we live in a real world with real needs, and she's in need of a job. And she is also asking that she have a continually closer walk with you. And I just pray that you will hear that prayer and that you will provide for her needs as you promised to do. Thank you so much, Jesus, for hearing this prayer. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. A couple more short messages I'll share here. One comes from Luke. He's writing from Arizona. Melody, my wife Anita, and I listened to your podcast today. It was spot on. Amen on what you have shared. We are overjoyed with what God is doing in and through you. Now, I actually shared this message from Luke because he and his wife Anita have actually been very instrumental in encouraging the launch of this podcast And maybe at some point I will share that testimony. But anyway, thank you, Luke and Anita, uh, for your support from the very beginning of this podcast. My favorite message, and actually one of the first messages that I received a few weeks ago after my first podcast, came from a woman named Bobby. Good morning, Melody, she writes. My daughters listened to your podcast with me this morning. When it was finished, my eight-year-old said, Mama, I like listening to her. Can we listen to the next one, please? We're joyfully looking forward to hearing more. Thank you, Melody, for sharing about Jesus in such a lovely way that even my daughters immediately ask for more. You are a blessing. 
Well, I just praise the Lord. When I got that message, it just brought tears to my eyes, and it also came at a crucial time as I was just uh, getting started with this podcast series. So thank you so much, Bobby, and your daughters for encouraging me uh, in this journey. And friends, I want to encourage you, if you've been blessed in some way uh, by this podcast or, or by what is being shared, um, or actually if you have ideas of topics that you'd like to see me cover in future programs or prayer requests, I'd love to hear from you. So please reach out to me. Uh, the, the email that you can use is daring to live by every word at gmail.com. That shouldn't be hard to memorize since that's the name of the podcast. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd love if you, you know, continue. Please, please share this podcast with your friends. We want as many to enjoy the, to enjoy the blessings as possible. So thank you so much for sharing. Well, I think it's time we open our Bibles and we drink from God's living word. I'd like us to start our scripture reading today in Mark 10, verse 27. But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. We find another similar reference in Luke 18, verse 27. But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You know, as I'm sharing these passages, it actually brings to mind another one of my favorite Bible verses that comes from Ephesians 3.20. And it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, I want us to just stop right there. Do we realize that we serve the God who is able? There's nothing that he is not able to do. There's nothing that is impossible for him to do. Nothing catches him by surprise, not wars, not rumors of wars, not the chaos that's going on around us, not a pandemic, not a cancer diagnosis, uh, not an accident, not a tragedy. Nothing catches God by surprise. And even in the midst of the chaos, the drama, all the different things that are going on, our God is in control and we can look to him in faith. There's a quote that I just love. It comes from one of my favorite books called Desire of Ages. It's very short, but listen to this. It says, natural impossibilities cannot prevent the work of the omnipotent one. Natural impossibilities cannot prevent the work of the omnipotent one. That comes from page 5. 35 in the book, Desire of Ages. And I think that really lays a, a great groundwork on where I would like to go with today's podcast, talking about the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. I want us to look at two specific stories in scripture. The first one has to do with Gideon, and I'm sure you're very familiar with his story, but I think it's good for us to review. So let's open our Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Now, if we look at the context of the story that we're going to talk about today, we see that the Midianites are oppressing Israel, and they don't know what to do. 
I mean, they're, they want to serve God and they're trying to be faithful, but, but this army's coming against them and, and they don't know what to do. And Gideon was one of those everyday average citizens, probably just like you or me. Um, and he's, he's trying to be faithful, but he's scared. And in fact, when we pick up the story, he is actually threshing wheat in a wine press. And he's doing it in a wine press so that he can hide from the Midianites. Well, let's pick up in verse 12 of Judges chapter 6. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him, this is Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. (laughs) What a greeting. Imagine the angel of the Lord coming to you with that greeting. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Now I want us to pause right there for a second. Have you ever asked that same question to God? You know, bad things begin to happen and things are out of control and your world is in upheaval and you don't know what's going on. And, and, and you say, God, if you're with us, Why is all this happening to me? I feel like you've forsaken me. Well, to be honest, I've actually asked that question to God. I've been in this predicament where I felt like he's forsaken me. I'm all alone. Well, this is kind of what Gideon feels like and probably many of the children of Israel. But the Lord continues to talk to him. And so let's look here what the Lord says in verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Now Gideon responds to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Well, the Lord said to him, verse 16, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Well, we know the rest of the story. You know, we know how God did use Gideon to defeat the Midianites. This huge army, so big, you know, they could not even number them as grand, you know, like as grasshoppers, the the scripture says. And here Gideon comes and he actually gathers an army together. And he's pretty proud of himself, I think, because he gets over 20,000 men uh, together And they're going to go against probably 200,000 men. Who knows? But he has this big group. But you know what's interesting? If you turn over to Judges chapter 7, the Lord actually tells Gideon, he says, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands. Lest Israel claim for itself against me, Claim glory, excuse me, that's a very significant part here. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my hand has saved me. Isn't that interesting? Gideon had too big of an army, and God says, I can't use you. You, There's too many. You're going to take the glory for yourself if you win. And so God whittles down the army. Um, They go from, what was it here, 20-something thousand down to 22,000, actually, it says, down to 10,000. But you know what God says to Gideon? 
in verse 4 of Judges 7. The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And so he puts them through a test and that whittles the, the army down even more and they go down to 300 men. This is impossible. And I'm sure this is what Gideon was, was saying. This is impossible. We can't possibly win the war against the Midianites, the great army of the Midianites with only 300 men. But look at what God did. God gave them the victory. You can read the rest of the story in uh, Gideon, uh, in Judges chapter 7 and Judges chapter 8. And you can see how God delivered them and the the Midianites just fled uh, before them. And I want us to think about the battles that we're facing today, not necessarily the physical battles, but the spiritual warfare that we're, we're fighting day in and day out. You know, sometimes it feels like, as I said, as I just said a moment ago, that, that God has forsaken us and he's not with us. But trust me, my friends, God is with us. We're told in Romans 8, 31, if God be for you, who can be against you? God is with us and he is not forsaking us in these battles. Well, I want us to turn to our second story that I want to talk about very briefly today, and that comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And this is another one of my favorite testimonies in Scripture, where Judah is in a a great predicament, and Syria and Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, you know, they're all these kings coming against Judah. And the people don't know what to do, but they have a king who knows what to do, and that is to look to God. And so that is what Jehoshaphat does. And verse 3 of Second Chronicles 20, I just love this, is so powerful. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And it goes on talking about that. And then, um, let's see here, verse 5, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, our God, are you not the God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever. And they have dwelt in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name's saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword and judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. This is what Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, is proclaiming. And listen, I love this part of the prayer, skipping a couple verses down to verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no might against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I just love this passage. And I think this story gives us an example that we are going to need to cling to not just now in the trials and, and the tribulation that we're going through right now as a people of God, 
but it's going to get much worse. We know that. We know that. You know, we know in Matthew 24 that we say, you know, that the Bible says when we hear of wars and rumors of wars, this, this is just the beginning of sorrows. This is just the beginning of sorrows. But we serve the God that stands with us and with his people. And yes, there's going to be casual, casualties. There's going to be suffering. And some are going to die. It's true. You know, we're told that in scripture, some are going to be killed. Some are going to die. Eventually we know that that, that test is going to come to God's people, but we can still stand strong in him, trusting as we talked about last week, that he is going to walk with us through the fire. And so I just love this. You know, when I, when I'm facing big trials, um, situations in my life where I just feel completely out of out of control. This is one of the very first passages that I go to. You know, we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Well, as the story um, goes on, uh, the prophet actually spoke to them and told them, um, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God, and you will not need to fight in this battle. And basically gave them instructions to position themselves and to, to watch and see the salvation of the Lord. And so that's exactly what Jehoshaphat and the people of, um, the people of Judah did. And they began to praise the Lord. And this is, I think, so very, very profound that as they began to sing and praise the Lord, that's when God actually worked. Skipping down to verse 22, now when they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushments against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. You know, those principles that we can learn and take from this story apply to us today, and they're going to apply to us even more in the coming days. And that's why I want to share them. I think it's very significant right now. Well, as I bring this podcast to a close, I have two stories that I would like to share that I think, well, they have a message for us right now, today, and here. And they have to do with impossible situations that people have faced and how God intervened. One of them has to do with Finland. Uh, back in 1939, uh, Russia actually invaded Finland. And Finland was fighting alone. But at the time, they had a president who actually understood the power of prayer. And he and his wife urged the people over the radio to get on their knees and to pray. And so the whole nation was praying and God performed miracles. And here's a little depiction of the miracle that God performed. The battle was called the Battle of Pel Pelkosonium. And sorry, I'm, I'm totally slaughtering that name. Uh, it occurred the 16th to the 19th of December, 1939, during World, during the Winter War which started by the Russians suddenly attacking Finland, basically on the 30th of November. So now, you know, they've attacked Finland, and now we're into early December. The place where the attack was was very strategically important to Finland because it had a strong connection to Sweden, uh, which was helping Finland, you know, fostering uh, Finnish children during the war. 
Well, on the 16th day of this battle, things, things were looking really terrible. The odds were not looking in favor of Finland. And in fact, it was apparent that Finland was most likely going to lose the battle. The Russians had tanks and machine guns in abundance. And, you know, the Finnish soldiers, they only had their skis and some wooden planks and knives. And some of them had handguns, but they were very poorly equipped. And so here Russia is, and they're planning um, to take over Finland. The Russian troops were about 20,000 in number. They were heavily armed, and the Finns who were facing them were only about 1,500. So there weren't even enough rifles to even give to every soldier. The task was impossible. But the Finnish president, Koski Kalio, and especially his wife, Kasa Kalio, were devout Christians. And Kasia was a woman of prayer. So they went to the Finnish radio and they spoke to their whole nation. First, the president himself addressed the people uh, with the following words, and this is what he said. You soldiers there in the front lines have a privilege to see, as we here at home have, to our amazement heard, that the hand that guides life itself has given you strength to stand against violence and to win even when you are faced with impossible superiority. After the president's speech, his wife urged the nation to pray, and she actually prayed over the radio. Many sources have confirmed that at the specific moment, there were thousands of people all over Finland on their knees crying out to the Lord to save Finland, you know, from this atheistic regime. Well, on the 18th of December at Pelkosinomia, sorry, I cannot pronounce this name um, clearly, the battle begins with a heavy rainfall. The Finnish troops uh, are working to organize themselves to battle. And the same night, you know, it had been raining, the weather abruptly changes to minus 40 Celsius. That's very frosty. That's very cold weather, which paralyzed the Russian tanks and the soldiers. And that same day, miraculous things began to happen. The chauffeur of the Red Army's battle company actually got hit by a bullet and he died and collapsed. And he, he collapsed basically on a button, which let out a signal for the whole Russian army to retreat from the battlefield. So the whole Russian army flees in terror, basically because their, their head guy falls over dead on the button that sounds the alarm to retreat. Can you imagine that? It's kind of ironic how God works sometimes. So the battle resulted only in a hundred casualties for the Finnish troops and in over a thousand for the Russians. Isn't that amazing? God delivered. It wasn't by the might of the Finnish. It wasn't by the power of the army or anything like that. He delivered in his own way. Well, there's actually a war memorial standing up in the very place where that last battle took place in Finland. And it says on that memorial, here the Lord helped us. The memorial was actually erected because of the, wishin, the wishes of the veterans who fought in that battle, because all of them recognized that it was only the Lord's protecting hand that saved Finland that day. In fact, as the story goes, uh, the Russians were in such a hurry to leave that they not only left behind their tanks, they even left behind their musical instruments and some of the orchestra, you know, which they were planning to use to celebrate their victory 
over Finland and Lapland. But God did not allow it. And we just praise the Lord for that. The last story that I want to share with you today, I actually shared in my first book, Daring to Ask for More, um, in the chapter called Daring to Ask for More. And it's about Reese Howells and his Bible college in Wales. And I think this is pretty cool because this week, one of the messages that I got to give, I was actually speaking to a mission college in the country of Wales. <laughs> when I was talking to them, I was like, you know, your country and some of the things that have happened there have been such a huge inspiration to me. And of course, I told them about, you know, the Welsh revival. I didn't need to tell them about that from 1904 with Evan Roberts and and how they saw great revival come to the country as people humbled themselves and, and repented and sought the Lord. And that's a very, very well-known story from the country of Wales. But there's another story that's not so well-known, and I got to share that with my friends when I spoke and shared with the... Um, the Bible College in Wales just this just this past week. And that is about Reese Howells. So let me share the story. Reese Howells was a 20th century missionary to Africa and later to Europe who dared to ask for more. Not only did he pray for some resources to do the Lord's work and to save more souls for the kingdom, but he also prayed for the deliverance of nations so that the gospel work could go forward unhindered. This powerful revivalist and intercessor built a Bible college in Wales just a few years before World War II began. Once the war began, recognizing the threat of Hitler's regime to the spread of the gospel, he immediately rallied his staff and students, about a hundred of them, to begin interceding that God would counteract the work of Hitler and the enemy of souls. All during the war, the Wales Bible College staff and students devoted from 7 p.m. until midnight every night in prayer. This was in addition to an hour-long prayer meeting in the morning and at noon. During the hardest days of battle, they often fasted and prayed all throughout the day and often all night. As Hitler's Nazi regime brought tragedy and destruction to the lives of millions, Howells and his students prayed four specific prayers about four specific aspects of the war. The first prayer was that Hitler would not succeed in, a, in, in invading Great Britain. As history tells us, Great Britain did not fall to the Nazis, but if the Germans had kept up their bombing just five more minutes on that last horror-filled day, Great Britain would have fallen to their grasp. The second prayer was that Hitler would not attack Egypt and gain Alexandria. The third prayer was that he would not succeed in overthrowing Moscow, and the fourth prayer that he, was, that he would not succeed in his attack against Stalingrad. Toward the end of the war, military commentator General J.R.C. Fuller published an article titled Hitler's Four Great Blunders, listing four reasons for the impending doom of Hitler and the Nazis. Listen to this. This is so amazing. First, Hitler failed to invade Britain. Answer prayer, number one. Second, he did not attack Egypt and gain Alexandria. Answered prayer, number two. 
Third, he did not capitalize on his advantageous position to invade and overthrow Moscow. Answer prayer number three. And fourth, he was defeated in the great attack on Stalingrad. Answered prayer number four. Isn't that incredible? Were these four blunders merely Hitler's failures? Hitler's failures, or did they happen because God heard the prayers of this small group in Wales, desperate to see deliverance so that the gospel would not be hindered? Well, many may speculate, I believe that the latter is the answer. The last great prayer battle for Howells and that group of praying intercessors at Wales Bible College was for the opening of the Western Front. After months of wrestling prayer on behalf of the Allied troops in May 1944, God assured them that he was going over before the Allied troops and and that they would have no setback. One month later, on June 6, 1944, Allied forces successfully landed unmolested on the beaches of Normandy, France. We know that. That's a big, big day in history. It was the largest amphibious invasion in world history with 175,000 soldiers brought over on 5,000 ships and in 11,000 planes in one night. Now known as D-Day, this was a great turning point in the war against Hitler. We have since learned that this night was the only night of the war that no Nazi U-boats patrolled the English Channel. What would have happened that day if Reese Howells and his students at Wales Bible College had not been praying? I don't know. What would have happened? You know, one author writes... I love this. Success does not depend upon numbers. God can deliver by few as well as by many. He is honored not so much by the great numbers as by the great character of those who serve him. Wow. What amazing testimonies to God's faithfulness in the face of great, great odds. Well, we have more uh, great battles, spiritual battles, especially in the days ahead, uh, in the days ahead. And I just want to encourage each one of us, and I'm speaking to myself as well. We all fight, you know, the temptation to fear, the temptation to be overwhelmed, the temptation to look to self instead of to the strength of God and the armies of heaven. But let's not give in to that temptation. Let's keep our gaze heavenward. Because truly, we serve the God of the possible. The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you that you are fighting for us. And we can't always see that you're with us. We don't always feel that you're with us. And we do sometimes suffer and experience pain. Of course, you tell us in your word uh, not to be surprised when those happen, when those things happen, not to be surprised at the fiery trials that we confront and face, and, you know, not even to be surprised when someday we die. We know that eventually um, that test could come to each one of us. But Lord, you are with us. You promise that you will walk with us through the valleys of the shadow of death. You promise that you will walk with us through the trials, through the floods, through the fires, through all the things that come. 
And so we just want to praise you for that today. And we we just want to praise you that you're the author and the finisher of our story. You write the end of the story. And we can trust that in the end, you will overcome. Lord, before I close this prayer, we just want to lift up our brothers and sisters around the world that are struggling right now. Um, There are many that are in very dire, difficult, um, very challenging circumstances right now in Ukraine and in Russia. And we want to lift up our brothers and sisters in both countries and just plead, Lord, that you would be very near them, that you would provide for them, that you would protect them, that you would sustain them, that you would deliver them from what they are currently um, facing. Lord, please, we just plead that you would fight for your people, that you would raise up a standard against the attacks of the enemy. And Lord, I know there's many others um, that may be listening and in other parts of the world who have also been struggling in different ways, whether it's from floods, from fires, from from COVID, from, from the loss of job, from the loss of loved ones, from the loss of homes. Lord, there's there's many different things. Uh, many challenges that your people are going through right now and I just I just pray for each one of them that you will be with your people and that they will feel your very very near near presence and take comfort and courage in the fact that if you are for us who can be against us and you're going to see us faithfully and safely through to the end so thank you Lord for hearing and answering this prayer we pray for your glory in the precious name of Jesus amen Hey, thanks for joining me for this episode of Daring to Live by Every Word. Dear friend, our Heavenly Father is just waiting to make His forever home with you. In John 14, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. In Revelation 3, verse 20, we are told, He is standing at the door knocking, even now. My prayer is that you will not delay another day, but open the door of your heart to Jesus right now. For more information on how to grow your walk with Jesus, visit daringtolivebyeveryword.com. I look forward to seeing you next time on the next episode of Daring to Live by Every Word.